Well, friends, the interview is the standard feature of the recruitment process. You're going to have your casual catch-ups over coffee or do psychometric testing, but if you want to build a team, you're going to have to sit them down and interview them, eyeball them face-to-face under pressure. Now, I don't know, you might have had a terrible experience during an interview, perhaps not just where you bombed out, but maybe something really awkward happened. Perhaps somebody asked you that question, what's your main weakness? If you've never had an interview, you have to prepare an answer to that question. You know, what's your main weakness? And you know you can't say, I'm a perfectionist, not just because it's blatantly untrue, but also because everyone else says that. And you can't think of anything on the spot, and so you say, well, look, it just has to be hygiene. It's not my thing. I'm uh, not strong in that area. I'm definitely in the lowest quartile for that. I heard about an interview where the fire alarm went off and the uh, interviewer went out for a few minutes, came back and said, no worry about it, it's just a fire drill. So they continued the whole interview while the fire alarm continued to wail. And when the interview was over, the candidate walked out of the room to find that the building was in fact on fire. So maybe interviews aren't always the best way to recruit a team. But today we're going to see Jesus begin to recruit his team of disciples, and his process centres on three little statements, questions or invitations that you heard in the reading. What do you want? Come and see, follow me. What do you want? Come and see and follow me. We're now in our third week in our series on the Gospel of John, which is a biography of Jesus by his best friend, John. In the first week, we discovered that John's purpose in writing this biography, this gospel, was that as we as readers might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, we might have life in his name. John wants us to find life in Jesus. He's open. That's the reason why he's written his biography. We discovered from the summary or the prologue, those opening 18 verses, that Jesus is the eternal word who was God from the beginning, but who burst forth into our world, becoming flesh making his dwelling among us, pitching his tent, as it were, at ground level with us here. And then last week, Pat shared about John the Baptist, another John, this extraordinary last of the long line of Old Testament prophets who paved the way for the coming of Jesus, preparing people for the coming of Jesus by calling them to repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of sins, but consistently pointing away from himself by pointing to Jesus. So look at chapter 1, verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now today... True to the intention of John the Baptist, the focus shifts away from him to the Lord Jesus, the one for whom he did prepare the way. What do you want, says Jesus as he builds his team? Come and see, he invites. Follow me, he instructs. And so firstly then, what do you want? And just to set the scene, it's obviously early days in the ministry of Jesus. But if you have a look at verse 29 and in verse 35 and in verse 43, it says, the next day, the next day, the next day. Very reminiscent of the creation accounts in Genesis 1, how it lists off the days. But if you think I'm stretching it there, John is inarguably building momentum, tension. And in verse 35, we take off the next day from where we left things with John the Baptist, who for the second day in a row sees Jesus and remarks, look, The Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice, he's saying, in the order of the Old Testament Passover Lamb, who would identify with the people and deal with their sins once for all by his own sacrificial death. Look, 
says John the Baptist, pointing away from himself and to Jesus, the Lamb of God. But I want you to notice there that John the Baptist says it to two of his own disciples, and those two seem to immediately leave John and start to follow Jesus. Now, friends, just ponder that for a second. The last in the line of Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, a giant, the one to whom crowds had flocked in the desert, points to Jesus and his own disciples shift from following him to following Jesus without any hesitation, without any intervention from John, presumably with his blessing, but not without personal cost to him. See, John really did practice what he preached. And when it says those two disciples left John and followed Jesus, it means that in the most literal sense. They physically followed him. Like It appears they were almost stalking Jesus. And so he turns around to them and says, what do you want? What a good question to ask. What do you want? Because it works on a very basic, literal level, doesn't it? I mean, you guys are following me. It's a bit weird. Can I help you with anything? What do you want? But it works at a much deeper level too, because these two lads are clearly on the scout for answers, for meaning, perhaps even for life. What do you want? Friends, let me ask you that question here tonight on this sticky evening. What do you want? I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it before. Is it not the case that we spend most of our week working towards it? I hope this doesn't seem like a, an unfair pot shot against some of our older brothers and sisters, but the Australia's... The Australian Seniors Insurance Agency, one of my favourites, uh, they released a survey which revealed the vast majority of baby boomers, that sort of people in retirement, who dip into their kids' inheritance to go on holidays, don't feel guilty about it at all. Now, that piqued my interest because I was recently sitting in traffic behind a caravan which had the bumper sticker, happily spending the kids' inheritance. That's what some people do, and they don't feel bad about it at all. Half the 1,000 people uh, who were surveyed apparently subscribed to the idea, you only live once. You only live once, man. Can't take it with you. Now, that is technically true, you only live once, but it doesn't include the subtle nuance that you actually live forever. And what you do with these few short years has a bearing upon where you will spend eternity. But there is something about that idea, you only live once, Seize the day, you know, carpe diem, suck the marrow out of life, whether you're young or older. That idea has got real traction in our society. You know, um, in that survey, 94% of the respondents said that travelling makes them feel alive. And it's, to me, it's just fascinating. What the people who have lived longest upon this earth want is life. And most of them hope to get it by travel. Of course, younger people also try to get life by travel and collecting experiences and by other means like careers and relationships and parenting or purchasing. But what is common is that we all want to feel alive. You know, we want our lives to have purpose and pleasure. We want to have both meaning and meals out. We want security and significance. We want to love and to be loved. And we might have different visions or ideas about what that looks like, just as the personalities and culture of these early disciples shaped their expectations about what a full life looked like. But what do you want? Our answer is effectively the same. We want life. 
Now, these two disciples, these uh, early adopters, they don't use the word life here, but, but they've been disciples of John the Baptist. They're now following Jesus. Very soon they're going to say, we have found the Messiah. And you'll remember from the beginning that John's whole purpose in writing this gospel, this biography, is that we might know that Jesus is the Messiah so that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. You see, life is what they're on about. It's what we're on about And this little encounter shows us that it is also what Jesus is on about. He is the eternal word. God himself who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world by his sacrificial death. And he is the Messiah in whose name we might have life if we believe. But of course I'm jumping the gun here, aren't I? Because at this early stage of the encounter, Jesus has just asked the innocent question, what do you want? And it seems like it sort of caught him off guard. They neither apologise for stalking him, sorry mate, didn't mean to be weird, nor kind of explode with their deep existential request for life. And in fact, verse 38 sounds like a lame response, don't you reckon? The best they could come up with on the spot. Uh, where, where are you staying, teacher? And you could imagine the other one rolling his eyes at that response and the first guy shrugging his shoulders as if to say, look, this is the best I could come up with on the spot. You know, I'd like to see you do better. But Jesus, who certainly is a teacher, with teachings that are both trustworthy and roadworthy, responds with the second little statement for the day. And this time it's an invitation, come and see. Come and see. You think I might somehow be the answer to your quest for life, for an improved situation, for the culmination of your culture's expectation of a coming king and saviour? Come and see. And they did. They spent the rest of the day with him. I mean, what a remarkable opportunity, you know. Jesus invites them, come and see, and they spend the day with him. And they discover, verse 41, we we have found the Messiah. In our inner beings, we knew there was more to life. In our culture's expectations, we were looking for more. With our previous teacher's instruction, he said to look beyond him to another, and we've found him. It's Jesus, the Messiah. Have a look, verse 40. The first disciple mentioned here in John's Gospel is Andrew who forevermore would be known as the brother of Simon Peter, unable to break free from the shadow of his more acclaimed sibling, who was the captain of the team of disciples. Imagine being Andrew, forevermore in the shadows of another. But the first thing Andrew did was to take his brother Simon to Jesus. We have found the Messiah, brother. And Jesus looked at Simon and he renamed him. You'll be called Peter or Cephas, which means the rock. Mate, you're going to be something I build upon. Don't worry about that. And you imagine what it would be like to be Andrew forever in Simon Peter's shadows. But imagine if Andrew never invited his brother to come and see. What a loss that would have been, hey? Scholars think the other disciple with Andrew was John himself, the best friend of Jesus, the author of this gospel, but he doesn't get a name. What's important is that Jesus issued them with an invitation, come and see. And when they did, they concluded that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the culmination of their culture's hopes for a God-appointed saviour and king, the end of their search for answers, for meaning, for improvement, for peace with God, or what John will later call 
life itself. When I was uh, leading a youth group a while ago, there was a a guy in the group called Rob. And uh, whenever I would talk from the front, he would look at me frowning. And it was only years later I realised that he wasn't actually frowning. He was concentrating, or at least that was the way he concentrated. And I met him at a, at a party recently, and I was, we were talking, and I said, you know, Robert, I think we have entered difficult days. You know, there are people trying to get scripture out of schools, and we're mocked in the mainstream media and so on. And I noticed that he was frowning. I said, Rob, why are you frowning? And he said, because you're an idiot. I said, I hope you feel free to speak frankly. <laughs> And he said, you got the answer that people are looking for. And you're worried about the 1% of people that are bashing out their bile on social media. You know, the keyboard warriors hammering out their responses in the comment section on the Herald. He said, people are looking for security because the world doesn't feel secure. People are looking for a friend who won't let them down because their friends keep coming and going. And people are looking for a certain place because they're, they're pretty sure they won't be able to afford one in this market And people are looking for some significance because their job is boring or for relief because their job is stressful. People are looking for an ultimate purpose in life because even the ones who have got it all haven't got it all because they're still dissatisfied, disillusioned and restless. You got the answer in Jesus. You're still worried about the one percenters. Very good that he felt free to speak frankly, don't you think? But what he was really saying was, now is not the time to go, oh, I think we're entering difficult days. He was saying, now's the time to echo Jesus' invitation to come and see. You sense there is life beyond what you're living here, even on the leafy north shore. Jesus extends an invitation to come and see what he is on about. Will he bring the life that we so dearly want? And friends, you don't need like a personal invitation from Jesus himself. An invitation from one of his followers is all you need. Right, Andrew, forever in the shadow of his brother, took his brother Simon, now known as Peter, to Jesus. Come and see. Philip in verse 43 and 45, I feel sorry for Philip. Whatever he's mentioned, he appears to be out of his depth, doesn't he? Unsure, nervous, maybe not picking up on social cues. Philip says to his somewhat cynical mate, Nathaniel, come and see. Let me tell you, we had a great night on Tuesday night at Alpha. Uh, and thank you to everybody who came and thank you to everybody who invited friends and family members, even if they didn't come. But that's really what Alpha is all about. You know, you just, you just invite your brother or your mum or your friend or your husband or whoever it is to come and see. Who is Jesus? Is he the, the Messiah, this long-awaited king and saviour? Is he really the one in whom life is promised? Come and see. I reckon in this story, Nathaniel is an interesting one. Philip, Andrew and Simon, Peter were all from Bethsaida. Let's have a look on the map here. I get this working. That is up there. You can see it there, just by the lake. Just on the northern rim of the Sea of Galilee. And you can see there on the map that the province of Galilee is in the north of Israel. Now, all the religious action took place in the city of Jerusalem in the province of Judea in the south. Like, it's so far south, it's not even on this map. You've got Galilee in the north, Judea in the south, Samaria with the Samaritans in between. Now that meant that Galilee had a reputation not that different to how you think of North Queensland. Okay, a bit yokel, a bit uncultured, a bit tropo. Might be okay for a holiday, but seriously, Galilee. 
And here's something that I didn't realise. Nathaniel's sitting by the tree when Philip called him, and in true Philip's style, verse 45, he's flustered but accurate. We've found the one the law and the prophets wrote about, the one the whole Old Testament points to. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And so when Nathaniel slags off Nazareth, can anything good come from there? I always thought he must be one of those sort of superior, haughty-taughty types from down south in Judea. But we know from later on in John's Gospel that Nathaniel is actually from Cana. And look where Cana is. It's right there, just up the road from Nazareth. And so Nathaniel, he's not one of those superior southern types. When he says, I don't reckon anything good comes from Nazareth, what he's saying is we used to play him in soccer. Like those boys are our local rivals. Jesus of Nazareth? Like a guy from down the road? Come on. Now, how does Philip reply to that? Come and see. Come and see. It's all he needs to do. And in fact, Jesus then says to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even spoke to you. And it's hard to know exactly what Jesus meant by all of that, but clearly Nathaniel knew it pointed to some kind of supernatural knowledge. And not in the last, not for the last time in John's Gospel will someone say, Jesus really knows everything about me. It's true, friends, isn't it? He really does. And because Nathaniel was a man without guile or deceit, in other words, he spoke and he thought plainly and truthfully, he exclaims, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel, which are also terms that identify Jesus as the Messiah. He is the one in whom my hope is bound. He is the end of my search. I have found what I am looking for, and I didn't even know I was looking. Nathaniel believes and therefore he also has life. In fact, he, in fact they all, will have further more concrete grounds for belief than even Jesus' supernatural knowledge of him. They will see greater things. They will all see in Jesus a divine vision as if heaven were opened just as it was in the time of Jacob, when Jacob saw heaven and earth joined by a ladder or a staircase with angels ascending and descending upon it. And I'm not making this up and I'm not hallucinating. You can read it for yourself in Genesis 28. But in the person of Jesus, this son of man, they will see a bridge between heaven and earth, just like Jacob saw in Genesis 28. They will see for themselves that Jesus is heaven sent. And so today in these five verses, or these short verses, I should say, we meet five people. It's the beginning of a little squadron that Jesus is recruiting. There's Andrew, always the brother of, always in the shadows. There's an unnamed disciple, possibly John, but unnamed. There's Simon Peter with so much potential. There's Philip, forever out of his depth. And there's Nathaniel, a straight-shooting searcher who's committed to weighing up what's true. I wonder which of them you are most like. But to them is asked the simple but probing question, what do you want? And of course, the answer is life in one form or another, just as it is for us all. Does Jesus bring it? Well, there is an invitation first extended by Jesus personally, then extended by his earliest followers and now extended by us all to come and see. Whoever you are, whatever your background. From today's passage, you need to see that Jesus is for people whose names don't even get mentioned. No names. He's for people who consistently live in the shadows of the greater ones that surround them. 
He is for those with obvious potential. He is for those who always feel just a little overwhelmed. He is for seekers and searchers who earnestly want an answer. He is for you today, Christian. If you've just lost your wonder or certainty and you're muddling along because work is busy or the kids are tiring or your health is failing or your soul is weary, I know you want life because we all do. And I'm just saying that the place to find it isn't in travel or career or relationships or purchasing per se, but it is in Jesus and there is an invitation to come and see that in him again. And I'm sure that will refresh you. And if you're not yet a Christian or you're not even sure whether you're a Christian, we invite you to come and see. If you've got a religious background, come and see if Jesus is for you. If you're from a Catholic background, come and see, because Jesus is for you. If you're from a not very religious background, come and see. If you're from a sceptical, secular background, come and see whether this Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited King and Saviour, the answer to your deepest desires for life. Come and see. Keep coming to church, jump into Alpha, read John's Gospel for yourself. Come and see, man, come and see. But I want to finish with this last little saying of Jesus, follow me. You see it there in verse 43 where Jesus found Philip because goodness knows old Philip wasn't going to find anyone, was he? But you've already seen it there in verse 38 where the two earlier disciples followed Jesus. Follow me. You know, in our culture, it's strangely popular to be uncertain, even agnostic about ultimate spiritual realities. How can you ever know? You know, I'm sitting on a fence, bum's getting sore, but that's where I am, you know. To talk about being on a search, which never really ends, or to being on a journey where you never really arrive, I mean, how silly. The whole point of a search is that you find something, isn't it? The whole point of a journey is that you reach a destination, even if you do learn interesting things along the way. Well, Jesus invites us to search our own hearts when he asks, what do you want? And then he invites us to search him when he offers come and see but you've got to understand it's not a take it or leave it offer because ultimately he is the find at the end of the search he is the destination at the end of the journey and you can see that from the way the titles for jesus just cascade out of this passage because jesus of nazareth is not just the guy from down the road he's the lamb of god who takes away our sins he is the teacher or rabbi whose teachings are trustworthy and roadworthy. He is the Messiah, verse 41, the long-awaited king and saviour sent by God. He is the son of God and the king of Israel, verse 49, two further royal kingly titles for Jesus. And he is the son of man, verse 51, who fuses both divine authority and human form in one single person. He is the definitive yes to all our soul's inquiries. And he ultimately says to us, follow me in my entirety for all of who I am. Because he's not just the Lamb of God, our little sin management program that makes us feel better about ourselves. And he's not just the rabbi or teacher who said lots of true things or interesting things at least. And he's not just the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, a king for people back then. And he's not even only the son of man, a human in whom the divine resides. He is all that and much more. And he says, follow me for all that I am with all that you have. 
rather than thank you so much for browsing. It's very good of you to come into our shop today. So friends, as we finish, what I think we need to do as a consequence of today is to have answers to those three little statements of Jesus. What do you want? Search your heart and tell me that it really does long for life, deep, satisfying, meaningful life. I bet you've looked for it in all sorts of places because we all have. Well, come and see, Christian or not, is Jesus the fulfilment of your hopes and the end of your search for life now and forever? Because it's hard to imagine anyone else who can bear the weight of our expectations other than him. And if you have seen that Jesus is more than just one of the many options, but is the definitive answer to your expectations and longings, follow him with all that you have, for all that he is. Because, friends, Jesus wasn't only building a team back then. He is still doing just that, not by interview, but by these three little statements. What do you want? Come and see. Follow me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus asks, what do you want? And we admit that we want life. Whatever our vision of it looks like, that's what we want, deep, meaningful life. Come and see. We recognise that Jesus is the one who can carry the weight of all those expectations for life in a way that no one else and nothing else can. And follow me. We recognise that the call of the Christian, it's, it's clear. It's to follow him with all that we have for all that he is. So we ask that you might move each one of us in this room tonight to do just that. For his sake and in his name we pray these things. Amen.